Hello, I'm Rena Grobe, and I'm Madhvi Romani, and this is Misinformed, where we'll be talking about our latest internet obsessions. So, Madhvi, what did you get obsessed with this week? I've been considering the topic of humor recently, with a lot of really serious events going on in the world. The question of what purpose and function does humor serve, and is it appropriate? So, quite a few things have happened in the last few weeks. Dave Chappelle released his eight forty-six video. He did a stand-up show for eight minutes and forty-six seconds, which was the amount of time the police officer kneeled on George Floyd's neck. It was actually the first comedy show to happen post quarantine, so it's an historic show in that sense. He's also a black comedian, and there were calls for like, you know, where are all the black celebrities talking about this? So he went up there, did a show, and he talked about it, and he addressed it directly in this like eight minutes and forty six seconds. It's amazing to watch because when he starts, he's like, I don't know if this is gonna work, but let's just see which is. I think one of the most amazing things about comedians—they just have to go up there and try something out, and a lot of it is not funny. And he says, "Well, this is not funny at all a lot of the time." And there are points where the audience laugh, but at the same time, it just seems so long, even though it's eight minutes and forty-six seconds, because all the time you're thinking, and somebody's still kneeling on another person's neck, and somebody's still kneeling on his neck, and somebody's still kneeling on his neck, and it. Always cuts the laughter short, but what Dave Chappelle has done there is just used his platform as an award-winning, prominent comedian to address a really serious issue. Like he says, you know, when people say where is his voice, he's been going on about this for years and years and years. And I think it's very powerful because when you expect people to be funny and they are not, it hits even harder. I remember Hannah Gadsby and her show Nanette. And she basically just broke comedy. She did not stick to the contract between the audience and the comedian when she decided in the second half of her show that she was just going to start being serious. And at the end of that show, you're just stunned and left in silence. And I feel like Dave Chappelle did the same thing. So these comedians, they have a tool, and they've been addressing this kind of stuff anyway for years. I feel like Trevor Noah, John Oliver, all of these people. Some of the episodes that we've been having recently, like last week, the Confederate statues, for example, we've been referencing. Referencing shows that are from a few years ago that deal with, with exactly these same topics. Another thing happened in Germany to do with humor, and it's kind of a cliche. And the British always make this joke that the Germans have no sense of humor, and I always say, "Well, yeah, they do. It's just maybe a different type of humor." I find the German humor very smart, quite ironic. I think the misunderstanding between the English and the Germans is just that the English are always making jokes, like it's some sort of nervous, insecure tick, and the Germans are not expecting jokes to be in inappropriate places because you know when they're having a, a normal conversation, they don't expect this kind of Tourette's. Approach to humor, but then this week a journalist published a piece of satire in the Taz newspaper, and the Interior Minister of Germany, Seehofer, who one of his responsibilities is also for the police, and this satire piece was about the police, kind of comparing them to being stupid and being Nazis and terrorists and all this kind of stuff. He said that he was going to file, as the Interior Minister, criminal charges. Against this journalist, which kind of makes my the Germans have a really good sense of humor argument, which sort of destroys it a bit because <laughs> he kind of didn't get that this was satire apparently, and I think a lot of people didn't get that this was satire. So I started looking into the history of satire and satire as a subset of comedy. The function of satire is 
that it, it is a political means to get across the message and when you know that satire is working well also it's kind of questionable like people might take it seriously and some people won't so in those terms I guess this satire piece did its job kind of well because people were like is this a joke is this not a joke and that's one of the functions of satire and then also one of the functions of satire is to draw attention to political issues and power structures and things like this and now in Germany we're having a really big conversation about the police freedom of speech in the press Seehofer and his aims to maybe pacify or gain support from the right in Germany so in that sense maybe it was also a successful piece Yet satire has been on my mind a lot recently, not just with this piece in the Tatsunsehofa, but also because I've been watching Dear White People a lot. I actually binge watched all three seasons in like two days. And one of the central storylines in the very first episode is that a satirical magazine within the universe of the show is hosting blackface party as satire. And about a commentary is race. And the show kind of revolves around the black people on campus having to sort of explain why that's wrong, particularly the main character Sam White through her radio show Dear White People. And one of the observations they make in the show is that satire is all about power structures. And if you look up the dictionary definition of satire, it says, Noun, the use of humor, irony, exaggeration, or ridicule to expose, criticize people's stupidity or vices, particularly in the context of contemporary politics and other topical issues. And I think that when it comes to the piece in the Tatz and Hosehofer, that is the main issue. It's about power structures. Because I don't think that Horst Seehofer does not understand what freedom of speech or freedom of press is. I think he knows very well what it is. But he called out the Tuts, right? Not other trashy magazines. He's not publicly calling out the IFD or the neo-Nazis who recently set a van and another car and apartments on fire in Neukölln and then wrote Nazi symbols all over a Turkish bakery. He's not calling out far-right extremists that are present in the police or in the army. He is choosing to call out a journalist. The thing about comedy is, is that it allows us to talk about uncomfortable things. We can be honest through comedy in a way that we normally can't. Because, you know, you kind of joke about things and that makes it okay to address them. But he is intentionally using his position to squash someone in lesser power than him. Honestly, I think it's serves two purposes. One, I think that he was trying to distract. There's so many things going on in Germany right now and in politics. And by pushing this narrative, he's able to move the conversation away from the things that are actually happening and things that actually need to be addressed. So yeah, he's recentering the conversation. But also, it's like, for the first time, he as a white, straight, cisgendered man in Germany feels attacked or his beliefs in some way feel attacked. And it's like he's never stopped to consider that this feeling of anger or feeling uncomfortable in this way is the way that a large group of people in his own country 
have felt for a really long time. This is their reality, constantly feeling like they're under attack. And of course, that, you know, these, this feeling of rage and uncomfort that he's feeling for about five minutes in no way can compare to how a lot of people feel their entire lives living in Germany. But he is in, unintentionally revealing a lot about his privilege and sort of his interest in upholding white supremacy. He is complicit and he's not complicit, you know, in that way that like the IFD are, but like in a very quiet, subtle way in the way that he is comfortable with the power structures. He's comfortable with the police because they've always been there to protect him because he believes that what they're doing is necessary. So he doesn't see any reason to change these harmful structures because they don't really affect him or they affect him positively, I guess I should say. And sort of that's what the police are there to protect white people and to uphold our privilege as white people. And a journalist, they have dared to use satire as a form of calling out the far-right extremism present in the police. So he feels attacked. There was a really great article in Spiegel where a journalist wrote a piece commenting all of this. And in the piece, she pointed out that within the last two or three weeks, two black men have been killed by the police in Germany. It's not what we're talking about, is it? We're talking about Horst Seehofer going after this journalist. The really funny Instagram account, Berlin Auslander Memes posted something about this exact topic in one Instagram post. It showed a German shepherd pumped up full of steroids, you know, muscles, and underneath this image it said the German government responding to one satirical statement in the taz.de and then next to it was a really lame looking chilled out German shepherd dog normal just sitting there all calmly and underneath that it said the German government responding to actual Nazi violence and that basically sums up what you just said, obviously not everything, but that sums up one of your points in a really kind of funny way. And I think that's sort of the function of humor, right? That's why, you know, we're having all these really difficult conversations right now. But like I said, Trevor Noah has been addressing this stuff for years. And when you do it in a particular way, you can get a message across and educate people and draw people's attention to the funniness of all the injustice of things. But it doesn't feel heavy for them and it's a way of communicating which is effective and educational without turning people off because people still want to watch Trevor Noah even though he's addressing all these serious issues. But so I was reading an article in The Atlantic which was published a couple of years ago but comedy kind of changed after the 2016 election because normally comedy kind of takes a situation and shows you the extreme of it but with Trump and complete ridiculousness and farcical absurd events and speeches and behavior happening by the president of the United States it became very difficult for comedians after 2016 to redefine what is funny how do we approach this James Hamblin a comedy writer for the Atlantic said that when he first started a lot of humor was about saying something kind of absurd and building up these crazy hypothetical situations but now absurd situations don't need to be invented on Saturday Night Live a cold opening often seems close to the transcript of what the president has said. There is humor in highlighting contradictions. In the past, someone would quote Trump and then a tweet from a year ago of him contradicting himself, and it would go viral because it was funny. 
but now that can happen within the same day. So he says that a lot of comedians have turned into ranty advocates. Also, I feel like maybe then we've been pushed to another level with Dave Chappelle and stuff where the whole comedy genre has just had to be broken in some way. Yeah, like for example, what happened with the Trump rally in Tulsa, the TikTokers and K-pop fans apparently all reserved tickets to his rally so that he had a far lower turnout than expected. And everybody was really quick to dismiss this. I think like the New York Times wrote an article where they referred to it as a prank. It was like, it's not a prank. That was activism. We're in the middle of a pandemic and these teenagers are using the only tools available they have to them to fight the system. I think it also goes to a larger problem of like the older generation trying to belittle the younger generation and diminish everything that they do or try to do because they don't understand their world or their points of view. But what they were doing was they were using humor to turn the tables on them. They were saying, "Mm, that's a prank. That's not real. Because I think that people in positions of power, they understand comedy and they understand the power that comedy has. I think that they want to belittle it. And so they think that by referring to it as a prank, it makes it seem less important. Because when you think of a prank, you think of on April Fool's swapping out sugar for salt so that someone has really salty coffee. You don't think of it as political activism. So it was a method of belittling Littling a younger generation. But I, I think that politics are very aware of all of these things. Like when the thing happened with Hosehofa, a lot of people kept saying, oh, Hosehofa doesn't understand what satire is. He doesn't understand what freedom of speech is and all these things. I'm like, no, he knows. He knows exactly what's happening. He might be a privileged asshole, but he's not stupid. He is doing everything so strategically. And I think that that also sort of derailed the conversation of the people who were supporting the journalists and sort of supporting the cause because they were kept going after the fact that he doesn't understand freedom of speech when they were missing the point completely about how a conversation was being hijacked to distract. Yeah, with the t- TikTokers, I have so much respect for that generation because they cannot vote, but they can use their knowledge of the internet and algorithms and how things work to influence politics. And if we do call it pranks, then it's how humor can really, and playing, you know, practical jokes can really influence politics in a serious way. So they have become kind of enmeshed. And this is not the only thing that K-pop stands and TikTokers have done in terms of activism. For example, after the Dallas Police Department asked people to send videos through to an app called I Watch Dallas of illegal activity during Black Lives Matter, K-pop stands started flooding the app with fan cams and edits of K-pop stars and then the Dallas Police Department had to take down the app and they also did that with hashtags flooding hashtags such as white lives matter and blue lives matter with similar content in order to dilute those hashtags so in that sense yeah even if if you call it a prank or a practical joke like you said it's a form of activism and actually the thing that happened in Tulsa goes even a little bit deeper beyond just attendance because somebody pointed out that they use these rallies to gather information about supporters. That's where they get email addresses for mailing lists, where they identify their key demographics, and they've just messed with all of this. They now have useless data. They lost, I think, and don't quote me on this, but someone said that they've lost over a million email addresses that they could have used for campaigning. The K-pop stands and the TikTokers messed with that. 
That's activism. That is not a prank. Yeah, I read about that too. It's called troll data, apparently. To wrap it up, while I was researching this, I came across a really interesting article in The Atlantic called The Plight of the Funny Female. And the article shows that the way that men and women laugh and joke is very different. And men are normally perceived as funnier than women. For example, they had this study where 100 college students were shown photos of people of the opposite sex, along with transcripts of interviews that were supposedly conducted with those individuals. In the interviews, the photo subjects came off as either funny or bland. And for women, a man's use of humour in the interview increased his desirability. But for women, their use of humour didn't make men want to date them more. It made them actually slightly less alluring. So men found pretty unfunny women more desirable than equally pretty ones who also happen to be funny. And that's because the social norm is that men or male comedians have dominated and men are supposed to be funny, whereas women are not. And similar studies show that actually women look for a sense of humour in men and that's important for them. Men say they also look for a sense of humour, but when they were asked to define that really what they want is a woman to laugh at their jokes. So another way that humour can be used to challenge social norms and structures is just all you women out there be confident to make more jokes because I think as women we do laugh a lot together or we are freer to, we, we make jokes a lot within our own circles and we find each other very funny but a few studies have shown that this behaviour kind of changes slightly in other contexts because violators of social norms normally get punished so that's another step to equality and I think we've got some really really great female comedians come up recently Mindy Kalin like I was saying Hannah Gadsby yeah Sarah Pascoe Catherine Ryan Sandy talks actually just took over QI from Stephen Fry and she's the first female comedian to host a comedy panel in British television. That's insane. How is that possible? There are so many such funny female comedians. I also think that I've met more funny women than I've met funny men. I'm just going to be completely honest. But men have always been praised for being funny. So men tend to think they're funny when they're really not. Whereas women aren't actively praise for being funny so when women are funny they're fucking hilarious sorry for swearing again mom yeah you're onto something there because in this article they actually showed that men are bigger risk takers when it comes to telling jokes which is why i said women go out there and just be funny because they make more jokes and even if some of them fail they're kind of okay with that whereas women tend to it's like job applications right men apply for way more jobs that they're kind of underqualified for they don't hit all the points for whereas women make sure that they're completely qualified for the job before they even apply for it so it's slightly a confidence thing too so yeah because men expect to be funny they're just more confident in general because also we let them get away with more i guess and we laugh at them more even if they're not funny just to be kind and like all comedians have said part of being funny and developing that skill is that you have to fail and you have to take up the space and practice your jokes on other people you have to use your voice there's no other way around it comedians who are really successful bomb at the beginning of their careers even later on in their careers you could see Dave Chappelle was really like this is not funny or I don't know if this is gonna work but that's part of the job of a comedian too so you have to put yourself out there it's a really hard job and I admire everyone who does it because the stakes are quite high 
when you do bomb or you get heckled or the interior minister of Germany threatens to bring a criminal complaint against you. If you like this podcast, please rate us and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud and share it with your friends. And if you like, you can share your internet obsession with us. Tweet us. I am at Rena underscore Grobe underscore and Madvi is at Madvi Romani. Follow us on Instagram at the underscore ms underscore informed or shoot us an email misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. You will find links to our Twitter and Instagrams in our show notes, as well as links to all the content we have discussed this week. Until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>